Welcome to 45 Days. I'm Julia Ritchie. And I'm Nicole Nixon. Motion is that the, sixth, that the 2018 general session of our 62nd legislature adjourn. Signed, die. That motion is in order. It's non-debatable. All those in favor say aye. Those opposed say no. <laughs> Representatives, we are adjourned. That's it, folks. Speaker Hughes' gavel fell at midnight last night, and we barely had any time to catch up. So many bills to tell you about. 534 they passed. That's one short of their record they set last year, 535. And that's down from the 1,200 to 1,300 bills they filed to begin with, right? Right. Lawmakers are feeling good about this session. Mm -hmm. Even Democrats are more upbeat than usual. Uh, Here's House Minority Leader Brian King on how the session went. I think it's been a dynamic session of the likes that we haven't seen in a long time. So is that good or bad? I think it's a good thing. I mean, we've moved, it's it's been a more progressive legislature than we've seen in a long time. And so from that perspective, I think it's been very good. But that's not all he said. Uh, he said the reason that things went this way uh, is because lawmakers had a lot of pressure on them this session with uh, six, possibly five now, ballot initiatives coming up this fall. The initiatives didn't force us to do anything. We took action on our own. But the reality is that the initiatives put a lot of pressure on the legislature, especially when it became clear that those initiatives had gathered enough signatures or were likely to gather enough signatures to get on the ballot. I think that that put a lot of pressure on the legislature to do stuff that we never would have done without those initiatives being in place. We want to get right into some of the big topics of this session. First, the education funding compromise. This was hammered out the last week, really, of the session. Um, Our schools now is a group that was running a ballot initiative to raise sales and income taxes to get about $700 million more for education. And they gathered a lot of signatures. Mm -hmm. I think enough to get on the ballot, actually. Yeah. Utah lawmakers were not keen on the idea of raising taxes Mm -hmm. that much. Um, They actually wanted to pass off some of that federal tax reform, give a a bit of a tax cut to Utahns. um, And that was all worked out in this kind of 11th hour deal. A grand bargain, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So what exactly did they end up uh, doing with the, the terms of the deal? So there are two pieces of legislation to this. It's so complicated, so yes. bear so, with us. <laughs> so the first one is a resolution. Um, it passed both houses, so it will be on the ballot this year, and it just asks voters, do you support a 10-cent increase in the gasoline tax to help pay for education? So essentially what that would do is offset money that's already being taken out of the general fund to pay for roads, right? Yes. And this is a huge issue for uh, Senate President Wayne Niederhauser. We can talk about that a little later, Right, <laughs> his pet issue. But the other bill that complements this one and adds even more money um, right. is, so is this, this almost like it's like tax reform, basically. Yeah. OK, so this was a proposal that came out early on. There were two bills and um, to deal with what's called school funding equalization. And basically part of the money that goes to schools it comes from your property taxes. And a home in Park City is worth a lot more than a home in West Valley City or rural Utah. Um, So those school districts are not funded equally in that scenario. This was a proposal that materialized early on. It got changed a lot and they 
put in a lot of these other tax reform revisions into this. Yeah, a lot of other wish list items that didn't necessarily have to do with education to begin with. Right. But were like business tax breaks that they wanted to get in at the last yeah. minute. So and then, then they were able to do some voodoo math uh, <laughs> that would in, uh, result in this this huge kind of boost for education. And yeah, so it edu- education funding. And tax reform. I was calling this bill Franken tax. <laughs> I called it the Franken school bill. <laughs> um, but essentially, yeah. So it, it'll add. It'll it changes the business tax formula from a three sales factor to a single, single sales, sales factor. It'll freeze uh, your property tax mm-hmm. rate. Uh, five years. For five years. And that's the part that will help fund schools a little better. Right. And uh, But it'll also give uh, individuals and corporations an income tax break. Mm-hmm. Uh, so reducing that rate from 5% to 4.95%. Yeah. Hope- so that's not a lot. And, and, and I want to mention this because I asked some senators about this and you know, Lincoln Fillmore was the Senate sponsor of this Franken tax bill <laughs> in the Senate. And he said, you know, it's it's very modest. Most average Utahns will only see about a 50 to $100 tax cut in mm-hmm. their income taxes next year. But he said they're calling it a win because if our schools now had gone to the ballot and had passed, that money, that, that $700 million they wanted to raise for education would have been about 800 more than $800 in additional taxes next year. So they avoided this huge tax increase that Utahns may have faced, right, with our schools now. And you're getting a teeny little tax cut and instead. backers of the ballot initiative don't have to go through the worry now of whether or not their initiative will pass or Right. Fail. And there was polling that showed that it was pretty close, pretty even. Right. So, I mean, there's still a lot to be worked out with this legislation. Yes. Uh, obviously, Governor Herbert is in support of it, really, mm-hmm. really happy about it. Um, but I, I still don't think we've seen sort of the end of the nuts and bolts of how this is actually going to play out, especially yeah. because voters still have to decide on that gas tax. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope you're still with us. Uh, We want to tell you about a few other huge bills that passed. I mean, there was a lot that went on in the last Mm -hmm. week, uh, but one that was kind of a top priority from the beginning that we, I think, uh, told you about in a couple of episodes was the large overhaul uh, of the Utah Transit Authority. Um, It was... uh, through the recommendations of a task force uh, over the summer that came up with this legislation to try and sort of fix transportation funding and and public transit in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But also uh, because the UTA had gone through a lot of troubles, there was some accountability problems, corruption uh, scandals. uh, They wanted to rebrand the whole agency. So Mm -hmm. the bill they ended up coming up with will rebrand the agency, although there's some question as to whether they will or not, because Governor Herbert said Mm -hmm. he didn't really like the new name they came up with with which is Transit District Utah. Yeah, and the fact that it would cost $50 million to put to new, come up with a new logo yeah. and put that on the buses and all of the trains. Right. Uh, but the the bigger thing that it does is uh, basically scrap the, I think, the 16-member board mm-hmm. uh, that currently runs the UTA and replaces it with a three-member board of trustees appointed by the governor. Yeah. And this was something we saw over and over again this session, this theme of the state inserting itself in what were previously sort of more municipal um I guess, decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing this bill does is raise registration fees on vehicles and electric vehicles, something Mm -hmm. 
that EV owners were kind of upset about. But yeah. this is uh, all part of this idea that we need to be paying for our roads. We're, we're stealing $600 million right now mm-hmm. from the general fund just to pay for roads. Uh, so this idea of kind of putting the onus on the user of roads to pay for their upkeep and maintenance was a big theme. And we saw that with the toll roads bill, too. Yes, that President Niederhauser ran and pushed through. You know, he needed to lay this groundwork first, and this is something that I think the state will be working on over the next year or two to decide what those tolls might look like, where they might be, and what that whole system will turn out to be. And speaking of dealing with growth, population growth and other urban growth, uh, the Inland Port Bill, I think we mentioned it very briefly last week, Mm -hmm. uh, but this was, man, this got rushed through so fast at the end there. But this was the bill that would, uh, again, create a new governing body to oversee the development of Salt Lake City's mostly undeveloped northwest quadrant. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a lot of land. It's It's, it's 20,000 acres. It's a third of the city. Right. And um, Salt Lake City leaders were very unhappy about this. Um, They feel it was rushed. They it was rushed, let's be honest. Yeah. There was 30 minutes of debate on the mm-hmm. ho- They house pushed floor. it through the second to last night of the session at like 10 p.m. with very little debate. And city leaders didn't even see the, the final version of the bill that did pass. Right. Um, and I think the, the goal here, right, is they want to create uh, an inland port, which just means uh, a place to connect rail, planes, and trucks uh, to become sort of a, a commerce hub mm-hmm. of of the West, um, you know, we mentioned the Amazon uh, head H two is looking for a new headquarters. Obviously, yeah. they're not coming here, but they are getting a distribution center built built out there too. Right, and so they want to attract more of those types of businesses, mm-hmm. big businesses, uh, and become the crossroads of the West. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we've always been the crossroads of the West. But they want to expand that, <laughs> expand that concept. Um, so I, I just think that like, growth is going to be an issue that they continue to tackle yeah. in future sessions. Uh, and But we saw some big moves this year. Yeah, they do feel good about uh, moves this year to keep an eye and, and start to plan for and manage that growth that the state's going to see over the next few decades. And so uh, obviously you're hearing this thread here of these contentious issues between state and local, uh, but we also had uh, the governor's office versus the legislature this year, mm-hmm. uh, power struggle bills. We we went at length on it last week, but I, there some bills did end up passing. A lot of them did up. A passing. lot of yeah. So the um, let's start with uh, so th- these are bills that resulted from the fallout over the special election. Uh, in the third congressional district to replace former Representative Jason Chaffetz, you know, your favorite Fox News commentator. <laughs> so uh, the first bill was uh, it was a resolution to yeah. allow lawmakers to call themselves into a special session. Uh, Governor Herbert can't veto this. It, right. It, it, this, this goes to voters. This goes straight to voters now. So it'll be up to you whether lawmakers can do that. Uh, Their reasoning is that they should have input on certain matters, uh, especially when it comes to filling congressional vacancies, I suppose. Another bill to allow the state to insert itself into lawsuits. Uh, That's something that's a power that's reserved for the attorney general currently. Mm -hmm. uh, But the legislature says that, no, it should have the right to defend itself in court. That's something Governor Herbert's not too happy about, and he could veto and then there's that other bill that would force the attorney general to release his legal opinions. Which was another fight they had last year. Yeah, so many fights. 
<laughs> but despite this headbutting, uh, both Governor Herbert and Speaker Hughes were complimentary of the session on on the whole and seemed really happy with what they did and, and sort of didn't even really acknowledge that there's likely... They're fighting behind the scenes they're a little fi- bit. Yeah, they're fighting behind the scenes. Um, and because they did get so much done, I guess. I mean, they did pass these really huge pieces of legislation. Uh, it is Speaker Hughes' last session. Um, so sort of, a, I guess, an effort to bury the hatchet. So those are a lot of the big topics that emerged the final week of the session, and we'll find out very soon which of these bills will get Governor Herbert's signature. We even asked him about it on the last night of the session in an interview we taped for the show. But before we get to him, let's break for a quick nap. Yes, please. Support for 45 Days This Week comes from San Francisco Design. Whether you're on the Hill or just trying to keep up, the legislature is exhausting. You know what's not exhausting? Coming home and relaxing in a living room put together by designers that have been specializing in contemporary home furnishings since 1981. San Francisco Designs has designers that can help with one piece or even outfit your entire home. Located in Salt Lake and Park City or online at sanfrandesign.com. Welcome, Governor Herbert, to 45 Days. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. So our first question right off the bat is to grade the 2018 legislative session. How did our lawmakers do? You know, this is a straight A. This may be the best legislative session I've been around in 12 years. Uh, Not only do we get along well, which is an important aspect of making you feel good, and uh, we started out the session by asking people to, in fact, act like Matt, you know, if you remember the story about Matt Hilliard. And uh, people have done that. Uh, there's been a lot of respect and civility. We you know a few areas where we've probably fallen short. But that's allowed us to tackle some very tough issues. And uh, I think the performance of the legislature has just been outstanding. We know some of the bills that you do like, uh, the Medicaid expansion bill with the work requirement, the bill to overhaul the Utah Transit Authority. But what are some bills you are thinking of vetoing? There are a couple of bills out there that might be some issues of concern for constitutional issues, but some other issues that maybe don't have good policy inside them that we'll take a look at closely during our three weeks that we've got to, to review that. And some of them may ri- rise to the level of veto. Uh, again, just a reminder to your listeners that the legislature finishes tonight at midnight. My work continues for the next three weeks, and we'll spend a bulk of our time rereading these bills with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that what they've said they're intended to do, they do, and there's not any kind of unintended consequence which should cause us problems and cause us to veto the bill. You mentioned constitutional issues. We saw some power struggles this session, uh, a lot of that spillover from the 3rd Congressional District Special Election from last mm-hmm. year. Um, so, you know, there's a resolution now for special sessions that lawmakers can call themselves into if voters approve it. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, intervention in lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, forcing the attorney general to release his legal opinions to the legislature. What's your takeaway from seeing those kind of coming out? Well, those are interesting legal discussions, and it's not like how we think, well, this would be nice. It's a matter of what the law will allow. And, for example, for the legislature to intervene in lawsuits against the state and and against our statutes, that is probably a constitutional problem. Uh, The legislature is designed to create legislation. 
the executive branch, the separation of powers, is once they pass legislation, then I have to act on that legislation. I have to incorporate that into practice. So I execute. And part of that execution may be that somebody doesn't like the bill. They feel like they're getting some harm. It's not constitutional, whatever the reason is. And we have to defend it. Whether we like the bill or don't like the bill, once it becomes law, we in the executive branch have to defend it. You can probably appreciate the confusion if you went to court and we had a legislature a, a, opinion and a position which may be different than mine and the attorney general's. Right? It was probably not going to work very well. As a governor, you talk a lot about states' rights and listening to local voices like you did with the whole National Monument debate. Um, this year, the state has, the legislature has tried to insert itself into affairs of local governments. Uh, the Northwest Quadrant development, there were some attempts to stop cities from regulating things like plastic bags and even their own watersheds. Do you think the legislature went too far on some of these items? Well, I'm always sensitive about that because, as you probably know, I came from local government. Uh, for 14 years, I was a Utah County Commissioner. And so the... Uh, concept of a big brother kind of telling us what to do, the state, kind of grates on me. I think most things we deal with should be bottom-up rather than top-down. There is one significant difference, though, between the states and state rights and how we interact with the federal government as opposed to the state, how we interact with local government. Mm -hmm. The states created the federal government. It was not the other way around. We got together, the 13 states at the time, after the Articles of Confederation created our Constitution and this new federal government. Uh, and here in the state, cities and counties are creations of the state. They're subdivisions of the state. They created the local government, so they are the parent. The states have been the parents of the federal government. The state is the parent of the local government. So it's a little different relationship. Some of the issues cross boundaries, and so sometimes the state has to come in and help resolve differences between jurisdiction to jurisdiction. We might have water issues of concern that, uh, that the state water engineer needs to weigh in on, and that may cross jurisdictional lines. We have some things of magnitude that don't impact more than one city. And uh, I know the Northwest Quadrant is part of that. Where I've proposed an inland port four years ago. It's now coming to pass, and it's bigger than just one city. It's going to take all of us working together uh, to, to have the resources necessary to have a significant opportunity as the crossroads of the West to have an inland port. So there's times when the state has to step in and probably exercise their ability to control the outcome. And uh, I know sometimes cities and counties don't like that, but a necessary part of getting the better outcome in behalf of the taxpayer. And, and we saw a lot of that this session, too. Yeah, a lot more than we've had probably in recently. But as a former county commissioner, I know I was up here a lot, you know, talking to the legislature and saying, you know, I'm concerned about this encroachment or that encroachment or trying to make me do this or you're taking away my right here to, to, to represent my constituency. So it's an ongoing relationship issue. But I think by and large we get along very well. And the reason our state's doing so well I mean, our outcomes, look at our quality of life and the best performing economy in America, is because we all do kind of get along pretty well. What are some things that the legislature didn't get to that you that you think that they still have left to do maybe next year during interim? No, tax reform was one that you talked a lot about. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, we, we are starting on tax reform. We're making some changes there. We're going to give an $80 million tax cut in reducing our income tax. Uh, we are doing some better things with funding of our schools. We'll have record amounts of money that we're going to put into public education as well as higher education. 
uh, the equivalent of nearly a 7% WPU for the public education for numbers that uh, mean something to people out there. About $170 million of new money for higher education. And that's not only our traditional universities and community colleges, but our, our technical colleges too. So that's a really good thing. And that's part and parcel of this uh, tax reform and how can we optimize uh, uh, and, uh, and our need for money without having to dampen the economy. You could raise an income tax, for example, and it could hurt the economy. And our healthy economy is really the golden goose that's laying the golden eggs. Uh, it's, uh, we're doing extremely well, and we would not want to dampen that. So I think the work we've done with the legislature, particularly our schools now, and starting on some uh, income, uh, excuse me, some tax reform, uh, it really is going to be one of the highlights. It may be the biggest headline of our of the session. Um, you expressed some concern earlier about a funding request for a lawsuit against California for their coal policies. Um, it looks like some money for that was snuck into the the state budget. Is that something you would consider line item between? Well, you know, again, we'll <laughs> we'll go through all those line items. Sixteen point seven billion dollar budget, and uh, see if it's being spent appropriately. Uh, I've met with the attorneys that have been assigned to this case. I feel a little bit better about it after having heard the legal theory and what their thinking is and what they want to do. Some of this is a violation of the Commerce Clause. Uh, you remember when we talked about the Oakland Port here a year ago, and we end up having states now say, well, we don't like coal for whatever reason, and therefore we're not going to let you come through our state. Well, that's a violation of the Commerce Clause. Uh, it's a legal product, and they can't stop us from marketing and selling that to whomever wants to buy it. They don't need to buy it themselves, but they need to let us transact business. And that's part of what this discussion is. And the coal industry themselves, you know, are concerned, obviously, uh, for their own survival and their economic opportunity. So I'm going to take a, look, a close look at that and decide. But I feel better after having met with the attorney about the legal theory. I, I, don't, I don't want the state to intervene in something that's not a state issue. If this is a private sector issue, by all means, do it. Some of it has to do with our own uh, trust lands that were being uh, uh, minimized and the loss that will happen to the people of Utah, which is a concern for the taxpayers of Utah. So, But it's, it's one where we'll take a close look at. I feel better about it today. I had just one more question. Okay. And to end on a, a happy note. Um, so I don't have to ask you about the Trump Highway Bill now, which I'm totally relieved, and I'm sure you are as well. But I did want to ask if you are now on Team Martha and ready to send a statue of Martha Hughes Cannon to the state capitol to replace the... The, na the nation's capital. The nation's capital. <laughs> I am. Uh, again, a remarkable woman and uh, certainly a pioneer in many ways, uh, more than one, uh, helping lead out on women's issues. Again, that's a, a tribute to the state of Utah and uh, kind of our forward thinking here that sometimes people don't realize. So to have her at the nation's capital remind people that Utah, first to give uh, women the vote and the right to hold office, you know, is uh, I think a, a great message for us. And I'm not too worried about... Uh, uh, Mr. Farnsworth? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Philo T. Farnsworth, um, you know, for his prominence. And there's probably other places to actually put his statue. I think there's some discussion about maybe in the science building at the Smithsonian. You've got a big office we, here. here right, right, <laughs> have it right here in the corner. And um, so he won't be forgotten. 
but it's nice to elevate uh, Martha Cannon too. So I think this is going to be a win-win. Well, thank you, Governor, for joining us today. Well, thank you. Again, it's great to have you here. And again, let me just reiterate, this may be one of the best legislative sessions in the last dozen years. about Thursday night for a sec. Oh my gosh. I know I'm still recovering. And we're not even recovered yet. We haven't actually slept since. No. I think I just took a fell. nap <laughs> and then I got up to come here. It's all it's all a dream. <laughs> so, I I think it's really interesting that as this as the minutes literally were wearing close to midnight, the house got really urgent mm-hmm. and they were speed talking and they were speed voting and the Senate did the opposite. Yeah, the exact opposite. Like they they didn't pass the budget until about 15 minutes before midnight. Which is really unusual. Yeah. I mean, they get to it pretty late. I think they passed it around 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. last year. But it, I thought it was so interesting that when it did come up, Senator Stevenson, who is the is the budget chair, was taking five minutes to go through, like, every line of the budget. And I, I think it was deliberate. They were holding off on purpose to... I don't know. They were stalling. And and just to clarify, Nicole was in the Senate and I was in the House. So we did. We had totally different vibes going on. Speaker Hughes was, it seems like he was so aggravated. He was sighing. They were picking up their phones and talking to each other and rushing up and down. They were obviously trying to get certain bills uh, through the board before the time ran out. Also, I will mention on the budget, Democrats staged this sort of last minute coup mm -hmm. to strip out... uh, a line item that, that line item we asked Governor Herbert about exactly uh, that Representative Noel had asked for to a lot one point five million dollars for coal lawsuit man that really derailed things for about ten minutes you could tell Republicans were very upset <laughs> that they had to actually go through the motions of all that it was a really interesting procedural move mm-hmm. to watch. But because that happened, um, the rest of the night was just very tense up Mm. until midnight when they just basically were they did the shrug emoji like that's all folks. That's I think the shrug emoji is my theme of this session. (laughs) Yeah, I I think maybe that's a theme of every session, though. Um, But but yeah, yeah, meanwhile, the Senate is literally they're still doing the roll call votes Mm -hmm. and the the clerk has to call on some of these senators two or three times because they're not even paying attention. (laughs) It was weird. I've 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 never see felt an energy like that yeah you know as the session's minutes from ending so one bill that uh representative brad wilson really wanted to get through was on ticket scalping and they were waiting and they actually stopped about five till midnight just to get this bill back and it it didn't happen Mm -hmm. and i think the first thing representative wilson said was um motion to require the Senate to drink a Red Bull next year. And uh, Speaker Hughes responded, that motion is in order. <laughs> yeah, there must have been a little a little fighting. Another power struggle. There. Yeah. <laughs> House and Senate can't even get along on the last night of the session. Um, but there was a, a lot of other things they didn't get to, not just Wilson's bill. Um, some things we mentioned earlier this season, the uh, Down syndrome abortion ban that would ban abortions on fetuses diagnosed mm-hmm. with Down syndrome. That did not make it out of the Senate Rules right. Committee. There were con- some concerns in the Senate that with the constitutional note on mm-hmm. that. Um, I think they were also worried about it taking up a lot of debate time. Right. And then there was an effort to create a state oversight committee that also died, despite coming back several times. In like dead. three different bills. Right. Uh, and then the, oh, this was great. The ban, the proposed ban on 
cities banning. Okay, I can't say this. The <laughs> ban on plastic bag bans. Right. That oh, died after a great debate on the House floor late at night. That one crashed and burned. Yeah. As did the uh, proposal to abolish the state school board and replace it with a governor-appointed superintendent. I believe I tweeted that it went down in hot Cheeto flames. <laughs> um, but one bill that we were amused to see get passed uh, just 15 minutes before Sine Die uh, was a bill to address a very critical issue in our state. Let's go. Um, Madam Marine Clerk, items on the House third reading calendar. Third substitute, Senate Bill 180, offense reduction modifications, Representative Roberts. Representative Roberts. It's a misdemeanor to hold a raccoon. This makes it an infraction. Thank you. <laughs> Discussion to the bill. Saying no lights. That's amazing. We'll go back to oh my God. I, I, like, every time I hear it, I just can't stop laughing. Why though? <laughs> Why did they do that? So Ben Winslow, a friend Fox, of the pod, yeah, with Fox 13 News, he did an interview with that bill's sponsor, original sponsor, Senator Daniel Thatcher, uh, who was trying to make a statement. It was a message, a political messaging bill about sentencing for uh, misdemeanor okay. crimes and how they're categorized. <laughs> but the fact that it made it through, and of course there was all this tension about other bills. Well, what else did the House have to do while they were waiting for the Senate? Right. They had so many other high-priority issues. Election laws they didn't get to. Not even close. Uh, all those election laws to fix the problems with the state GOP and... Mm -hmm. Perhaps. Delaying ballot initiatives. Yeah, none of that made it Repealing through. Repealing SB 54, all of those died. But raccoons, you can hold them now <laughs> for an infraction. I don't even know what an infraction means, you know? Is that a it's fine? Like a, it's like a jaywalking ticket, basically. <laughs> okay. Sounds like the House had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was like a frat party. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Senate was like a funeral a little bit. <laughs> Um, but apparently lawmakers in the House couldn't resist one more parody song Worth will it change a thing if we take the sales tax off of feminine hygiene? <laughs> they got pretty salty in that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they meant to keep the microphones on that late. Uh, they didn't leave until like 1.30 in the morning. I'm glad one of our chambers had fun that night. <laughs> So that is it for this season of 45 Days. A yes. big thank you to all of our loyal listeners this legislative session for supporting us and getting us through the long days and the long, long nights. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And don't worry, because we will be back next year and possibly sooner with some bonus shows as soon as Governor Herbert starts signing some of those big bills into law. We would love to know more about what you thought about this season. So please go to KUER.org and fill out a survey so that we can get a better idea of what you liked and what you did not like. Just click on 45 Days right under the podcast tab on the menu of our homepage. Also, a quick reminder here about the live event we'll be doing in Cedar City on Wednesday, March 21st. We are partnering with the Michael O. Levitt Center for Politics and Public Service at SUU. We're doing a panel with some Southern Utah lawmakers, and it's going to be fun. As always, you can find more details at KUER.org. 45 Days is a production of KUER News. This episode was produced by me, Nicole Nixon. And me, Julia Ritchie, with original music by David Whited. For more local news and legislative coverage, visit our website at KUER.org. And follow us on social media. I am at underscore Nixo. And I am at Julia Ritchie. Signy die! die.